Hello and welcome to Channel 17's Town Meeting Television and another in our 2019 Candidate Forums. In this episode, we are uh, interviewing and speaking with candidates for the South District City Council. I'm your host, Matt Kelly. I'm pleased to be sharing the stage this evening with City Councilor Joan Shannon, incumbent Democrat, Paco de Francis running as an, as an independent, and Mohammed Jafar also challenging as an independent. Our format for this evening begins with 60-second opening candidate statements, followed by questions from the audience. A reminder that our phone number is 862-3966. You're welcome to dial in and ask questions. And we'll do that in a round-robin format, followed by closing statements from each candidate. Ladies first, Joan Shannon, your opening statement, please. Thank you. Um, I'm Joan Shannon. I'm the current city councilor for the South District, and I'm running for re-election uh, because I love Burlington, and I want to keep working on city issues that make a difference in the lives of our residents. Uh, I believe it's important to attract and keep livable wage jobs in Burlington, and I'm proud to have led the way to change zoning on Pine Street to allow office space, cafes, dance studios, and other entrepreneurial uses that have been transformative for the South End. Um, and they weren't allowed prior to the 2007-2008 uh, zoning rewrite, and um, the initiative to make those changes came from me. Um, to just let you know a little bit about my values, uh, the environment is very important to me. We need to fight climate change, improve air quality, and make Burlington a more walkable, bikeable city. I want to continue to work on initiatives to reduce energy consumption, source clean energy, and improve stormwater management, and hold developers to higher environmental and energy standards. Um, uh, we always need more affordable housing in Burlington, and like communities nationwide, we are challenged by decreasing federal subsidies and an increasing need. Uh, we need to look at creative housing solutions to attract developers to build more affordable housing through infill development and reuse of underutilized sites. Uh, fostering economic development and cultural diversity in Burlington is critical. I don't want to see Burlington become a boutique community, but rather want to do all that we can to create an economically, economically and culturally diverse community. Very good. I apologize. Uh, okay. We're going a little longer. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So Paco de Francis, your opening <laughs> statement, please. Yes. Um, so I'm Paco de Francis. I'm running as an independent for city council. Um, and I agree. And so I'm really running as for city council because Burlington, I feel like, has become too expensive and is um, combined with kind of a lack of opportunity, especially for younger people to kind of get their lives and their careers and uh, get, you know, get really rooted in the city. So I agree with a lot of what um, Councillor Shannon had said and uh, as, as more her, of her vision, but I don't really see the policy um, from the current city council. And you know, it's a 12 member council, only one councillor can do so much, but I don't see the policy there that can realize that vision. Um, so we talk about affordability. We have a big uh, housing affordability crisis in this city, and it, it, it's uh, it's at the point where and it's you know really the market rate uh, of housing is just it's not affordable for people making the median income, which is why over 40% of our um, population is rent burdened. So what we need to do by that is, and again, infill development, that's a great um, idea, but we can't, it's too hard to make infill developments feasible under the current zoning. So we need to really look at inclusionary zoning. 
is it, can we make it more accommodating for developers so we can get more um, housing units economically feasible? Uh, and then same thing, parking requirements. Maybe a downtown, in those downtown infill developments don't need parking requirements because we have the, um, we have bus, tr bus transit and bike lanes and um, you know, the walkable neighborhood. Uh, and then as additionally, what about building housing on Pine Street in the Enterprise District? Um, I know that uh, the current mayor has even talked about doing that, but you know um, the current council is not accommodated is not accommodative of those types of um, pro growth policies. So that's really what I'm kind of pushing for. I like the vision, but I don't think we're going quite far enough from a policy angle. Very good, uh, Mohammed Jafar. Your 60-second opening uh, candidate statement. Hello, everyone. My name is Mohammed Jafar, and first and foremost, before I delve into why I'm running for city council, I'd like to take this opportunity to address some recent tweets of misogynistic and sexist nature that have come to light from my past. I want to apologize personally to every single person that has been impacted by these tweets and moving forward I'd like to take the time to learn from the people that I've impacted. When you hurt someone you don't get to decide that you didn't hurt them, you just don't get that decision and I am here to move forward and to learn from the people I've hurt. Uh, with that said, I'm running for city council to address a lot of issues that have been persistent since I was since I came here from Kenya as a seven-year-old. Um, issues around housing, you know, housing in itself has again is, a, is an issue that we all deal with. The entire city of Burlington deals with homelessness, childcare. These are all issues that you know made it difficult for my parents and a lot of other parents and families to go about their day-to-day -day lives. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's saddening coming back from college and watching my parents do circles trying to figure out you know, what and how they're gonna feed everyone the next day after coming back from college. So I'm involved to address those issues because I think our city can do a lot better. Very good. Uh, candidates, a pleasure uh, sharing the stage with you. you will, we'll now begin our uh, round-robin uh, question and answer here with the uh, questions that have been provided to you ahead of time. A reminder to you, our audience, that you can dial in and uh, ask questions of these candidates yourselves. The phone number is 862-3966. Paco de Francis, we'll begin with you. Um, how would you characterize Burlington's economic development strategy? Is it something that you support and do you have alternative proposals if not? Yeah, so um, you know, I see there's a lot of things. We talk about economic development. It's you know, big umbrella term. There's a lot of things going on. Um, there's obviously this, the CEDO office is doing a lot, and then there's it depends what kind of development are we talking about? Are we talking about you know trying to really grow the uh, major employers like we have, like um, you know, like the dealer.coms and you know other seventh generation, both in the south end as well as employers in the downtown where a lot of south enders work. Um, and then, you know, but then there's also the entrepreneurial aspect to make sure that, you know, our, entrepreneur, our entrepreneurs have a good opportunity of, you know, making a, getting a small brewery, getting a um, coffee shop, because that's what really gives Burlington life that uh, attracts both tourists as well as potential residents that we really need to bring in to um, get our population or get our workforce better developed. So what I really see is our economic development strategy. It is, it is too dependent on the UVM Medical Center. The UVM Medical Center is the bulk of most job growth in the city, and it, we really need to branch out from being so dependent on the hospital and you know, getting more, doing more to create tech. And you know, there's, there's some excitement going on in the South End, but um, what can the city do to, uh, and I think the, um, I hate to say this, and I think a lot of people in city government hate to say this, but or don't want to acknowledge this, but oftentimes the best way to really encourage more growth is for the city to take a step back, reduce taxes, reduce regulations, um, get out of the way so that we can really create good, good long-standing innovation. 
Uh, Malcolm Jafar, uh, do you support uh, the city's econo economic development strategy, and uh, what do you think uh, the city needs to do going forward? Um, so my message in general is the growth of the city of Burlington, um, and in terms of the economic development of the city of Burlington, again, around that issue of being inclusive, I don't think it's entirely inclusive. And so while I support a lot of the economic developments that are moving forward, I think that it is very important that we make sure that everyone is being taken into account. And I think it's very important that we make sure that the residents, the people that live here and that actually make Burlington what it is are being you know, taken into account and those people's voices and their concerns are truly being you know, attended to. Uh, Joan Shannon, economic uh, strategy uh, for the city. Uh, you're obviously on the city council and a main driver uh, to it. Can you share your thoughts about where the city's headed? And um, I think that the city has kind of limited tools to address uh, economic development, and we do the best that we can. Um, uh, with regards to Paco's statement about reducing taxes, if we reduce taxes on uh, on businesses, then we're increasing the tax burden on residents, and that's the unfortunate truth of that. Um, as for what Mohammed is suggesting, I'm not really sure um, how that translates into actual economic development strategy, but what the city is doing and what I support um, are initiatives like what I put forward in the South End to change the zoning. Zoning did not allow offices in the enterprise zone. And I put forward that initiative. That's why we have dealer.com in the South End. That's why we have VEIC in the, in the South End um, and, and many other businesses. The other a really important uh, uh, initiative of the city is BTV Ignite, which does uh, attract tech businesses to Burlington, Burlington and tries to coordinate um, between public, nonprofit, and government uh, to give the support for tech industry and make the best use of our uh, gigabit uh, telecom system. Very good. Uh, we have a uh, uh, caller here, so we'll uh, go right to that uh, and uh, move away from the questions that are on our uh, uh, form here. Uh, caller, you are uh, dialing in live. Do you have a question for our city council candidates for the South District? I do. Uh, my question is for all the candidates and regards ballot question number four, the downtown improvement district. And I would like to know which of you have actually read the proposed charter change language and then what specifics from the plan have informed your opinion. Very good. Good question. Um, uh, Mohammed, we're going to begin with you. Uh, city charter changes uh, and ballot question number four. What are your thoughts? Um, in terms of what has kind of dictated what my point and decision on this is, it's not actually the language in the ballot in itself, but what residents are saying. And uh, again, just circling back into that idea of there are people that live here that aren't getting treated and represented the way that they should. So, the, uh, so my informed decision on the D downtown improvement district, which I am against, is in complete synchronization with the very residents that live in the downtown area. There are people that live in, in the downtown area that are going to be pushed out. When we expand our downtown area, there's people that we are neglecting to, to, to take into account. And so it's the residents themselves that are informing my decision. It's not the language in the ballot at all. Uh, Joan Shannon, downtown improvement district, your thoughts on the uh, uh, charter uh, change and the ballot question? Um, uh 
I think the question was, have we read the charter change? And yes, of course, I have read the charter change. I'm the chair of the charter change committee, and I've gone through the language line by line. Uh, so my uh, position on the downtown improvement district is based on the actual language. And I think that leadership is it's important to convey to constituents what's actually um, in that language and then get feedback from them because most people, I've been out there door knocking and most people are not um, intimately familiar with what is with the details of the downtown improvement district. Um, I support it because I think that it, we're in a new age with online, <clears throat> you know, online retail. Our downtown is very challenged. We need to ensure the survival of our downtown. And I believe that uh, it's important to uh, bring private funds to enhance and improve uh, and bring public benefits to the downtown, which is what the Downtown Improvement District does. It was always envisioned by the founders of the Church Street Marketplace. Um, and there, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at Thank that. You. Okay. Thank you. Uh, uh, Paco de Francis, your thoughts on uh, the uh, Downtown Improvement District and the wording of the charter change? Um, yep, yeah, so I'll just begin. I definitely, um, you know, I've, I've looked over the Downtown Improvement District, but I was, I've been more looking over that, the you know, charter change language, how it relates to other Downtown Improvement Districts. I'm sure I'm not as uh, familiar as Joan is with the, I wasn't, you know, <laughs> in the room writing it the um, way she must have been. But um, so, you know, I can't speak to the, um, as many details I'm sure that she could speak to. But you know, from a philosophical angle, I think this is a great idea, again, talking about lowering taxes on residents and on businesses maybe not inside the downtown so they can you know, grow and, um, uh, and continue to kind of add to their properties. Um, this downtown improvement district kind of helps get the city, you know, it, it, it removes some of that burden on the downtown from the city and allows those downtown businesses to improve their own, you know, the, their own little area, a couple blocks off of, on Church Street and off of Church Street. Um, to, to meet their own needs so that the city doesn't have to spend all that, uh, you know, um, use those services. So we get a better, we get a better outcome, you know, for less ta money from taxpayers because it's covered inside the district. And I r really like the idea. And then I think the other thing is, um, uh, Councillor Shannon talked up, touched on this a little bit, but, you know, the downtown, I think is, it is, um, is a lot more challenging than we all realize. And, you know, we have these institutions on Church Street both retail as well as the restaurant and um, uh, you know um, bars and pubs that you know have been there for years, and it's I think it's it's a lot more challenging uh, for those business owners than a lot of Burlington residents realize in this economy. Time, great. Uh, we're going to move on here, but I'm going to actually kind of continue with this because there are two city properties uh, that have lain dormant and um, not uh, expressed to their highest. Uh, capability in the city, Memorial Auditorium and Moran. And Joan Shannon, uh, we'll begin this question with you. What are your thoughts of what should be done with both of those properties? Uh, two minutes. Starting with Memorial Auditorium, uh, I am a big fan of Memorial Auditorium, and I think that the public really wants to save Memorial Auditorium as a community gathering space. I mean, that's definitely what we have heard. The reality of it is that that's going to cost money. and. It's easy to say I support that, um, but it, uh, we actually will need the voters to pass a bond in order to make it happen. So I think the goal for us is to try and bring something forward to the voters 
that is affordable, that saves Memorial Auditorium as a community gathering space. And I, uh, you know, we're coming very close to having a, a proposal that does that. On Moran, um, we have been having some meetings on the, the frame concept that's being put forward now where it's a partial demolition and using um, the literally the frame of the existing structure to bring some enhancements to our waterfront, modest enhancements that could be built on uh, from that point. And it has been tremendously well received by the public. Um, it can be done with existing TIF funds and uh, and I support moving moving that forward. Very good. Uh, Paco, your thoughts on um, Memorial Auditorium and its future, as well as uh, the frame concept for Moran and if you support it or not. Yep, so, um, you know, I look at these, these are two properties very different. The Moran plant, of course, is, um, is subject to the Vermont Public Do Trust doctor Doctrine, so, we, you know, that's going to, that's pretty much going to be a public asset. I mean, if it has no, um, there's no real value to that in the private real estate world, just because, because of the public trust doctrine, there's so many, um, you know, it's going to have so many things on, on it that, you know, it has to be used for public, um, public, we could make it to a museum, something like that, right? But you can't um, use kind of that high, this higher value, um, those higher value uses that the private sector would be more interested in. So the frame concept, I'm a big supporter of. Um, I'm a little, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that it'll be kept under that $5.7 million price tag. You know, you see that, the same thing with City <laughs> Hall Park, that was supposed to be one and a half million, now it's four and a half million. And Memorial. And Memorial, I think the best way to do is sell that to the private sector, get it back onto the tax rolls. And I think the private sector could be, be able to, um, have a lot of great, uh, you know, great uses for that that have community benefit. Very good. Uh, Mohammed Jafar, your thoughts on Moran and uh, Memorial Auditorium? In terms of the Moran plant, as it is designed currently, I do support it. I do, again, just want to make sure that it is public and for everyone and it is inclusive, but in its current form, I do support it. As for the Memorial Auditorium, I went to Edmonds Middle School and right after school, we'd often go to the Memorial Auditorium. So that's a very, very important space for me, <laughs> excuse me, growing up. And, um, and I think it's important that we keep it a public space. I don't think we should sell it off to private, uh, to private interest. And though Councillor jo uh, Joan Shannon says that we, you know, that takes money to, 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 you know, to fix this thing, I think it's really important to also uh, acknowledge the fact that we do take initiatives on a lot of things that, you know, take even more money. And for, for instance, the big hole that we have in our downtown space, you know, decisions like that should be a little bit more transparent uh, and so in my opinion I think we do have the money to make sure that that we do keep that space for the kids that grew up and and such okay Can I rebut that? Uh, 30 seconds we have callers so if you can 30 seconds um, my point about Memorial Auditorium costing money is that the taxpayers will have to pass a bond for that um, the comparison with City Place is really not an apples to apples comparison because we do not own that property nor are we spending money um, on that property, that's a private development. Thirty seconds. Um, yeah. So again, the Memorial Auditorium. I think it's it's a great. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of history there. It it has time, but unfortunately, I don't think it's something that the city can afford. It's going to take a tremendous amount of money to bond out for those. Um, you know, for those renovations to get back up to. Uh, you know, get back up to a usable, modern space. Thirty second response. 
Um, I, again, going back to just like the downtown improvement district that we just, you know, are ready to throw money on, there's more important things. And if we aren't able to prioritize the things that actually are for the residents and the people of Burlington in itself, then, you know. Okay. Uh, we're going to move right on. We've got uh, the phone tree lighting up here, so we're going to go right to our caller. Caller, you're live on the air here with city council candidates for the South District. Do you have a question for our candidates? Yes, I do. My question is regarding job growth in the city of Burlington. Is what specifically would each candidate do to help professional development for youth in the city? And specifically for Mohammed in promoting women and professional development, what kind of programs would he support in that area? Okay, thank you, caller. Uh, Mohammed, we'll uh, give this question right to you and then we'll uh, go right down. Okay. Um, so in terms of just looking at the, the, the job prospect for the next 20 years, um, I think the new American community in itself is a big base we can look at. If we can get that community immersed so that they are getting the resources that they need at jobs so that, you know, they're getting past just that initial, initial, you know, getting the job so that they can advance and we can get a lot more of these people in places where they already do have the skill set and they may not be able to communicate it, uh, that would be great. I think in terms of job growth, uh, that in itself I think will uh, will we'll bring a lot more people and there are a lot of jobs already that are quite vacant and we can create a lot more jobs and we do need a lot more jobs as a lot of people are you know we we spend and invest in our schooling system and a lot of folks that we educate are now leaving the state of Vermont to go find opportunities in other places so there's definitely a lot more we could do and uh, in terms of in terms of creating opportunities for women um, I think first of all just addressing the fact that you know for every dollar that a man makes a woman makes 80 cents is something that maybe we should we should talk more about and I don't specifically have specific proposals but I would love to you know learn more about what we can do as a community to move that forward and to create those opportunities for women as you suggest. Uh, Joan Shannon um, the question was about job development job growth and uh, opportunities for women. Uh, yeah I think in terms of job development and job growth I, I've already spoken to the fact that um, there are certain initiatives in the city where we have been su successful, particularly BTB Ignite and attracting uh, tech companies to Burlington. Um, also zoning that allows businesses to move to Burlington in order to benefit youth, women, and everybody else. We need to actually uh, make sure that we can still support businesses in our downtown and in our industrial zones. Um, <clears throat> with uh, you know, I think I think that that okay. pretty much sums Great. it up. Uh, Paco de Francis, uh, the question was about job development, job growth in the city of Burlington, and um, uh, development for workforce development for women. Yep. So I think there's a couple different areas here that we can improve on, and it's you know they kind of go hand in hand. So first of all, if we don't have the workforce here to begin with, it's very it's you know it can be a, a virtuous cycle or it could be a vicious cycle. And I think we're kind of in the middle of a vicious cycle right now, where we um, don't have the education you know don't have the education system to be able to handle that. We you know see. Um, most of our most young graduates from Champlain College and UVM leave the state, as Muhammad said, uh, and then you know that causes divestment from companies. And the company I work for, Keurig, we used to be a uh, Fortune 500 company with headquarters in South Burlington. About three, four years ago, they started moving those headquarters to Massachusetts because the business climate was that much more favorable than it is in Chittenden County. So um, you know, I get that we're doing stuff, but it's not quite enough. And what I would do to change that is. Um, is, you know, again, zoning, we have to zone for growth. That means less zoning, not more zoning. And then as far as the workforce development, 
Vermont is at the bottom for higher ed uh, funding, for um, you know, higher education funding. So we, the city needs to pick up that slack and you know, invest. So I have, I have a tax plan, you can go on to pocketoffrancis.com where, where I have a plan to invest 1.75 million new dollars in higher education for Burlingtonians so they can, you know, especially more of the alternative higher education, so you can get into those um, you know, uh, licensed jobs. Okay, very good. Uh, we've got another question here, so I apologize. We're going to move right on here. Uh, caller, you're on the air here with the uh, South District candidates for city council. Do you have a question for our candidates? Yes, I have a question for all of the candidates. Recently, the Vermont Senate passed a ban on corporate campaign contributions, um, and I'm wondering, one, if all of the candidates have committed to not taking money from any corporation or any business entity, regardless of the size, and two, uh, depending on that answer, do you agree or disagree with the Vermont uh, Senate decision, the Democratic leadership and progressive leadership in the Vermont Senate to ban corporate campaign contributions? Very good. Thank you for the question. Paco, this one uh, begins with you. Uh, ban campaign contributions, campaign finance reform, uh, your thoughts? Um, yep. So, yeah, campaign finance reform, uh, definitely, in, you know, you're coming home problematic issue. Um, I do think it's more of an issue at the state level than at the local level. Um, so I myself, I'm not taking any uh, corporate um, contributions. I'm not, you know, um, looking for them either. And the, and uh, what I really want to see from that is we need to make sure that that extends to the parties, the state parties. I mean, most corporate comp uh, more, most corporate campaign contributions don't go to individual candidates; they go to um, political parties. So we also have to ban those. Uh, and but then again, it's like it comes this murky area because you have political action committees; those could be taking corporate campaign. You have you know things like the plan, or you have whole uh, sorts of political ash, um, action committees from you know all different angles on the political spectrum. And you know if they if they're able to um, you know you just kind of get this double dipping situation where they're able to get corporate uh, campaign contributions and then just give them to the candidate. So does that really do anything if we just limit you know just direct? to the um, candidates when we have these PACs. Okay. Uh, Mohammed Jafar, the question was about uh, campaign ca uh, finance reform and uh, uh, whether you yourself are taking campaign contributions from corporations and businesses. Um, I am personally not taking any contributions from um, any corporations or can uh, and I certainly agree with Paco. I think you're right. It should be extended to, you know, state parties and not just individuals. Um, again, that reroutes you know who gets to make those decisions and it's not about who has money and who has connections with money it's about everyone and everyone is brought to the table when we actually do fight uh, when we if we do implement these reforms and I do agree with the state legislature in passing that for the simple fact that again it brings everyone at an even uh, playing field and that's important Joan Shannon campaign finance reform your thoughts mm -hmm. Uh, yes, I do agree with the with the policy, and I don't accept uh, corporate donations. Um, I also agree with Paco that this is it, it really hasn't been an issue in local campaigns. I mean, the extent of corporate contributions in local campaigns is often things like a guy who owns a painting company uh, makes a donation from the painting company rather than from himself personally. I think what we're really worried about is. Um, really some some untoward influence that corporations might have and hiding behind a corporation where you don't really know who is that making the donation whereas um, to the extent it's happened in local politics I think we 
we probably really do know who that person is. But no, I support the policy. I don't accept um, corporate donations. Very good. Joan, we're going to stay with you here with this next question here. Um, and it's very <clears throat> timely, you being on the city council. And it has to do with uh, ballot advisory questions. Should all citizen advisory questions automatically go on the ballot, or should it continue where the city council uh, has final say what goes on the ballot or not? Um, I, I think that the city, there's a good reason why in, uh, in state law and um, why the city council gets to decide whether or not to put these questions on the ballot. Uh, I don't think we want to live in a direct democracy. We've chosen a representative democracy, and there are good reasons for that. Um, one, one thing is the timing, that uh, when you put something on the ballot, uh, when it's gone through a whole lot of pro process and permitting and you're um, you know, halfway into a project, you can't come back and put the project on the ballot. It doesn't make sense. You have very limited information from a yes, no vote on a ballot referendum question, where oftentimes you need a more nuanced answer to, if you don't like that, what is it that you do like? What is it that you want the city to do? Um, people often vote for their personal benefit rather than the fairness to the community. This, an example is in South Burlington, the rebel name for the high school. Is that something that should be put on a ballot or do we want to recognize that there are civil rights issues here and there are that there's a concern for the entire community that may not play out in a public vote. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, we'll have to leave it there and uh, we'll ask Paco de Francis for a 60 second response on uh, that question as to uh, ballot advisory questions. Should they automatically go on the ballot or do you like the process as it stands now? I mean, I, I do think the process as it stands now with, you know, having the, them to go through city council makes sense because it's just, a, um, yeah, I, I think the pr process is good, but I think we do need to hold our, you know, direct city councilors accountable you know, at the, at the ballot box, um, if they are, you know, if you disagree with, uh, if they're not putting those, um, you know, I think the, each, the voters need to really look at that and say, is my city councilor not putting on these, um, you know, these ballot items that, I, uh, that should be going on, or um, is he or she not? And you kind of, you take, take that to the, uh, take, you know, take that to the ballot box itself. Okay. Uh, Mohammed Jafar, your thoughts on uh, the ballot questions. Should they automatically go on uh, the ballot if they get 3,300 signatures? Uh, my answer to that is yes, they absolutely should. And uh, my reason for that is very simple. If I'm elected as a city councilor, I'm elected by the people and I'm elected to represent the voices of the people. I don't get to go there like a parent and decide what the decision is. That's not my job as a city councilor. My job is to represent those that are, you know, that are seeing me as their representative. So in my opinion, I think it, you know, it undermines the process of democracy in itself, especially that's why we have the item in itself, or that's why we have the process for the signatures, for the petitions, whatever it may be. So it is important to understand that if we are going to have, you know, those processes, they shouldn't be such, a, it shouldn't be a facade. They should be real. And if people get what they, and they meet the pre, pre, uh, prerequisite or the requirements, I think people should get those items automatically on the ballot. Otherwise, why have the process at all? Okay. Can I rebut that? Uh, 30 seconds, please. Yeah. Uh, the reason we have the petitioning process is because there are certain uh, decisions that can may be made directly by the public, and so that uh, requires this petitioning process, and then 
those items can go on the ballot. So the petitioners have access to the ballot. And in a lot of Vermont, um, the voters actually have decisions over everything in their town down to whether or not to buy another plow. So that's why we have that process in place. But I do agree we need to be more clear with petitioners about what our parameters are for what's going on the ballot or not. Paco? Um, yes, so uh, I think what, you know, what we're really looking at is we're talking about advisory ballot items. Um, and that's different than a binding referendum. Uh, and you know, because of the nature of an advisory ballot item, I think that is, a, you know, it, it becomes a little bit less serious because the city council, if you put every advisory ballot item on the, um, you know, on the ballot, and then and, and they all pass, but then the city council can still go and you know, not, uh, you know, not choose to push any of them in, or enact any of them into law, or you know, make that policy change that was suggested. So because of that, you know, I don't see a need to put every advisory ballot item on the. Um, you know, on the ballot if they, the, if they meet the signature requirement because the city council already has the discretion at the end, at the end of the day. Um, so to go back to what Councillor Shannon said earlier, uh, sometimes people, uh, city council may be hesitant to go back on an item and put it on the ballot due to the fact that it's already gone through so many processes. But the fact that people don't know and are still having to garner so many signatures for a petition is due to a lack of transparency. And that has to be discussed as well, because if people are aware of, you know, what what this process is or what the development is or whatever it may be, then obviously they aren't, you know, they, they would be knowledgeable enough not to need, not to have a petition. So if thirty five hundred people sign a petition, there wasn't transparency. People don't know about it. All right, we'll move right on here. Um, this is a question that is uh, very close to the heart here at Channel 17, and it has to do with funding for public access channels. Uh, there is a uh, rule change that the FCC is considering uh, in July of this year that would remove the funding for public access channels. Burlington Telecom is, in fact, encouraging cord cutting, which directly impacts the funding for public access channels, uh, which employ over 100 people here uh, statewide. So, Paco de Francis, your thoughts on future funding for public access and ensuring its uh, continuation? Yeah, I, I, public access um, television. I mean, public access television, public access radio, other uh, forms of media uh, that is public access is critically important to the education of the citizens, and you know to be able to kind of get um, you know both these candidate forums as well as you know other uh, city you know get in that contact with your city councilors if you're you know might have kids at home, single mothers. They're not able to make it to the meetings, but they have that. Um, Where do you, you think the funding, though, should come the, from? The, I mean, if the, the funding should come from the feds, but if it if they cut it, we have to pick up the slack as a, as a city. So it, the city. Yes, but again, it becomes a um, priorities thing. If we do all these things that Muhammad and Councilor Shannon are talking about, mm. the public access that might you know that, that's why that's one of the reasons why I want to sell the Memorial Auditorium, for example, so that we can we have more resources as a city to focus on things where it's really needed, like public access television. Very good, Muhammad Jafar. Uh, the future of public access funding. Your thoughts on it? And um, I agree with Paco in many senses. I think if the the federal government in itself won't pick that up, it is on us to 
to take that slack, and I haven't decided whether it should be at a state level or a local level. But going back again to the type of things that we are willing to fund and then taking away from things that are important, like these public access channels, you know, what are we prioritizing? Like, what is important to us, and what are we so willing and ready to, f to defund and take funding away from? School is one of the biggest things and quickest things we're ready to take funding from. And it looks to me like just another, you know, important uh, asset and facet of our community that we're, we're ready to just kind of, hey, let's, let's cut funding on that. So if the federal government in itself does not and is not willing to fund that, it's on us. It's on the city and it's on the state. Uh, Joan Chan, in the future of public access funding, just to be clear here so that the public also understands, uh, public access is funded through a $3 fee on your cable bill, and that is through a law that the FCC has enacted. They are uh, thinking to uh, take away that, that, uh, that requirement. So your thoughts on the future funding for public access and the role it serves the community? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, cable and telephone are both uh, soon to be things of the past and the uh, utility of the future is the internet. And so public funding for Channel 17 needs to be done through internet providers. Um, to say the city should pick up the tab, you know, I don't think you serve a lot more than just the city of Burlington. And I don't think that the city itself can can pick up the tab. We do need to look at it statewide because it's certainly a statewide problem. Um, and I don't think we can rely on the federal government, sadly, to help us out. But your service is essential service in our communities. And we do need to find a way to fund you. So. Thank you for raising that issue. Very good. Uh, it's time for closing statements. We have a, a little bit of extra time to do so. So uh, up to two minutes for closing statements. And uh, Mohammed Jafar, we'll begin with you. So again, uh, I'm running for city council to address issues that have persisted for forever. Uh, I've been here since I was seven years old. I grew up here. I serve on several boards. My friends and I uh, started a peer mentorship group in which we look to assist new um, youth at-risk new American youth and helping kind of navigate and figure out dual identity and that dual culture. Uh, I also serve on the committee that actually brought my family here and helped us get on our feet when we first came to the United States, which is, which was formerly known as the Refugee Resettlement Program, but now is the United States Committee for Refugees and Immigrants, uh, as well as a couple other youth advisory boards that I serve on. Um, I'm running for city council because it's time we start representing everyone. It's time we stop putting on this facade where we pretend like we represent everyone and we start representing everyone. Homeowners, home renters, you know, young people that are fleeing the state of Vermont because there are no opportunities. I mean, we have a state policy that pays people to come out of state to come to Vermont and to the city of Burlington to find, uh, to find opportunities that our young folks aren't able to find here. And I think that's problematic. So again, I'm running for city council because these things do need to be addressed. I'm running for city council because I've lived the experience of not knowing if my parents were going to have enough food for me to eat tomorrow or my other 10 siblings. So people need to realize that there are people sleeping outside in sub-degree weather in, that are homeless, that are on Church Street, that, you know, and so it's important that we reprioritize, we redirect where our, our priorities truly lie. Very good, thank you. Uh, Joan Shannon, your closing statements, please. Um, thank you, I just wanna address one thing that was, um, was said here, which is about throwing money at the Downtown Improvement District, and to be clear, 
Um, the Downtown Improvement District is an opportunity to use private money for public benefit. It's not something that the city is throwing money at. It's actually a tax that comes from um, the property owners in the business property owners in the district. And that's, um, I think as an elected official, it's very important to be accountable uh, to the voters and to be accountable for delivering accurate information, which I always try to do. Um, I think that one of the things that I've always uh, uh, really worked on is to be responsive to my constituents, and my constituents have um, many different issues. It depends on where they live, what that issue is going to be, and over the years I've really enjoyed uh, working with neighbors to make sure that we have, uh, you know, roads and sidewalks and um, city services that are serving our community, and when they're not, being responsive to bring people together, to bring people to the table, to make sure that everything is working for the citizens of Burlington. I really believe that government is here to serve the community, and I work very hard at making sure that that is how, um, how things work in Burlington. And I want to thank Ch Channel 17 for this opportunity um, to have this discussion. I want to uh, also thank my um, uh, fellow candidates here uh, for a productive discussion on issues. And I want to thank all of the people who have invited me into their homes as I've been door knocking around the, around the South End. So thank you. Uh, Paco de Francis, your closing comments, please. Yes. Um, so again, I run for city council uh, mainly because Burlington is, no, is becoming unaffordable for residents. It's becoming unaffordable for businesses. And that's um, hindering growth, it's driving out growth, it's driving out our young people, especially our young college graduates, as well as um, other young people, as well as other people who we could uh, attract to the city and we're not right now. So, you know, we really need to go in, we need to get um, Burlington into a growth phase. We need to re rethink the way city government is, um, you know, its functions and start th thinking about it more as, from a departmental uh, perspective, start running it as a business. Um, rather than just as you know, a fund, and it's it's become kind of too antiquated in that regard. We need to empower department heads to have more control over their spend, so that, they, that way they can drive real meaningful um, value for taxpayers. And then you know, again, the other piece is housing is too unaffordable. We won't have we won't be able to uh, get out of this affordability crisis if we don't zone for growth and do things like you know, allow medium density housing on the Pine Street District and allow that infill development in the downtown without the parking requirements because that's really hindering growth. Um, you know, the market, the private sector, the free market can solve a lot of our problems in Burlington. We just need to do more to get out of the way and let the, and, um, let the private sector solve those problems. Paco DeFrancis, Joan Shannon, and Mohammed Jafar, thank you so much for joining us here this evening. It's been a pleasure sharing the stage with you. Best of luck to each of you on Election Day, March 5th. A reminder that early voting has begun and you're able to contact your local town clerk and pick up and complete your ballot today. And a reminder to join us for election night coverage beginning at 7 o'clock right here on Channel 17 Town Meeting Television. For all of us at CCTV, I'm Matt Kelly. Thank you for watching. Good night.